This podcast is presented by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and your one-stop shop for optimizing all your office technology. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Is it caught? Is it caught? Oh my goodness, it's caught! DeAndre Hopkins caught it! He caught it for a touchdown! You've got to be joking me! Welcome to Cardinals Underground, presented by Pacific Office Automation. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Touchdown, Kyler Murray. That defender is in multiple pieces. Oh, that was nasty right there, right? The latest news and notes from the guys who cover the team. Drilled by Simmons. Isaiah Simmons is balling. Bring it on, bring it on. Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. I ain't scared of nobody. Here's Paul Calvisi. All right, look, right off the top, I believe all we're truly willing to say about the absence of Kyle Odegaard, and Darren, you can back me up on this. Uh, I don't know if there's anything official from management, is that um, he's still a member of Cardinals Underground right now. In the words of Sean McVay, right now, or, or maybe the Rams GM Les Need, at the moment, Kyle Odegaard is still a member of Cardinals Underground, even though uh, supposedly, Darren, you granted him vacation. I mean, are you telling me that working every single day since late July merits vacation here in late January? Well, you know, again, uh, as Les Sneed mentioned, the fact that even in today's salary cap world, Paul, you can make anything work if you really wanted to. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what direction that all goes. Wow, that's cryptic. That truly is cryptic right there. Maybe I better save Kyle at the moment by mentioning we're brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals and Cardinals Underground. Okay. Uh, you know what? Uh, Kyle wasn't there at Super Bowl 43, just based on his age demo. Uh, <laughs> we were, and that's where the Super Bowl is going back. So maybe if there's, if there's one week where it's fitting that we revisit Tampa and a Super Bowl, this would be the one. Yours truly, Paul Calvisi, Darren Urban. And Bruce Arians at home. Bucks going to be the first team to play in their home stadium in the Super Bowl. And yes, everybody now, Tom Brady against Patrick Mahomes. But it is amazing, at least for me, to see Bruce Arians. Everyone talks about Tom Brady at age 43, and I get it. And Patrick Mahomes is 25, and Mahomes' father is 50. <laughs> By the way, Darren, I don't know if this happened to you. Uh, you're younger than me, but there's always this sobering reality check. And this happened for the first time two years ago when I found out the, actually the intern didn't hesitate to tell me that I was older than his father. So there's always that, that moment when you're older than the intern's parents, there, there is that moment. You know, it's funny you bring that up, uh, not to get too far afield here, Paul, but uh, uh, there is a certain uh, media relations uh, member uh, who I get along with famously uh, first name of Chase, who, uh, I was having some discussion a couple of years ago uh, about, I think it was Christmas music or something. And somehow he's mentioned the fact his mom liked a certain song. And somehow for some stupid reason, I decided to ask how old his mom was. And this is somebody I've gone out with on the road. We've hung out a little bit. And I found out his mom was younger than me and, and not by like six months by, but by a couple of years. And it was uh you talk about sobering, but I, I, I got to sobering or Paul, you're not in this place yet, but like I am now in a place where uh, when I go in the locker room, not this year, of course, because of the pandemic, but when I go in the locker room, there are a couple guys now that are actually uh, younger or the same exact age as uh, my oldest son. So I'm, I'm pretty much there and it's, it's painful and uh, I'm going to weep later, but uh, we'll get through it. 
And that's the problem with the locker room and covering the NFL is, is the meet the age in the locker room, the median age really never changes. No, everyone else ages, but the locker room does not. The locker room will always be between like 21 and 35 for the most part. Did you just go Matthew McConaughey? Uh, all the, uh, you, you're, you stay the same and all the girls get younger and you just stay the same or whatever that line was. I, I'm trying to remember that line from uh, uh, what, what was the movie? I'm drawing a blank on it, which is horrible. But uh, Matthew, McConaughey. I, I wish I had the the uh, ability to quote a Matthew McConaughey right now. But uh, no, I'm, I stumbled into that one. If if that's in, indeed the case, see, that's another reason Larry needs to come back. He that's why he needs to play this coming season at 38. That, that's why it's it's all for the uh, for the rest of us. But how to me when I see Bruce Arians, and we all remember. Right, his his notable and entertaining introductory press conference as head coach of the Arizona Cardinals when he was named in 2013. And what was the famous quote, Darren? Sixty and sexy. Well, that's the one. Sixty-eight. And well, I don't know about the four-letter S word. I don't know about that. But he's sixty-eight, and 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 there's Bruce Arians. And how many Cardinals ties are there? Too many to list in this single edition of Cardinals Underground. Put it that way. But uh, you know, to me to see the storylines uh, and to see Bruce Arians and to see what he's done with a veteran quarterback, albeit the greatest of all time. But to me, there are a lot of parallels to what he did with Carson Palmer in Arizona and changing things around and look at the Buccaneers, their first playoff appearance since 2007. And now they've secured the first playoff win since 2002 and boom, it's Super Bowl 55. Well, and, you know, taking the parallel even further, uh, Paul, I mean, granted, this is B.A. second year in Tampa, but it's obviously Brady's first year. And we all know the kind of the ups and downs that first half of the first year Carson had trying to learn Bruce Arians offense and not just Carson, but a lot of the receivers that year um, to the point where I had fans tweeting at me that year in 2013 saying, they should be putting Drew Stanton in a quarterback and get rid of Carson Palmer. And if you recall, something clicked about midseason and they got super red hot and they won seven of the last nine games and they ended up with a 10 and six record and they just missed the playoffs because of tiebreakers. Um, but there was a lot of people that felt like if they had that team gotten into the playoffs, they could have done some real damage because they really hit their stride. And, and I keep thinking of that whole thing when it comes to the Buccaneers. They were very much up and down early in the season. Brady didn't look great all of the time, uh, and they seemed to have hit their stride at the perfect time. They were 7-5, and five, and Tom Brady told the story recently that, yeah, there was some serious unrest internally with the Buccaneers. They were beating themselves. There were some bad penalties. Guys certainly weren't playing to the standards that Tom Brady had in mind. And I mentioned Tom Brady because – that's what Bruce Arians mentioned. You know, B.A. was the one talking about Tom Brady's impact here this week and saying, quote, the belief he gave everybody in this organization that this could be done, it only took one man. And that was interesting to hear B.A. actually give that sort of credit to Tom Brady. But then again, if you go back to those years, and you know it, Darren, for example, Carson Palmer would run practices on a Friday. He would run the offensive side of the ball on a Friday. And that was the other quote that B.A. gave the Fox uh, commentators before the NFC championship game that, that unlike what they were doing in new England, he has given Tom Brady reign to run things. And that's all part of that culture that to me, 
you tell me, you know, I, I've been following the NFL since I was covering those 49er teams in the 80s when I was an intern in college and interviewing Joe Montana and Ronnie Lott and all those guys. But the culture and the accountability of any NFL team to me is twofold. It's always the head coach and it's always the quarterback. There are exceptions, but for the most part, it's that combo that ensures if you can get leadership and accountability from those two positions, then you know what? That's the most direct path to a Super Bowl. I would agree with that uh, to a certain, well, yeah, I would agree with that, but I, you know, I, I do think some, some things have come together at the perfect time. I mean, I, I don't think you, I don't think you can underestimate how important Brady himself is not just about being a leader, but being Tom Brady. I mean, you could have brought in a lot of quarterbacks uh, this year and I don't think it clicks all together. And there's other parts to it too. I mean, just this past weekend, Paul, I mean, Tom Brady threw three picks. And for some reason, uh, the Packers, whether it was Todd Bowles putting together a great defense or the Packers just not coming up the way they wanted to, the Packers got six points out of that. They end up losing by a single score. And it just feels like the Packers had their chances. And, and if we're sitting here and the Packers come back to win that game, it doesn't necessarily negate everything that Brady and Arians did. But it goes back to you, you need some things to fall right for you beyond just uh, – having everything perfect and that's why when you talk about having the right culture to me that's the most important part not just to get you there but it's to put you in a position that when things do fall into place for you you are able to take advantage of it I think that's ultimately it I don't think I don't think something like that gets you to the Super Bowl per se but it puts you in a position to take advantage when you have those chances and look, that game, you're right, had the earmarks of Bruce Arians, no risk it, no biscuit. I just looked before halftime. It was fourth and four at the Tampa, what, a fourth and goal at the, uh, I checked that, it was fourth and four from the Green Bay 45. Yeah. And, and, and boom, they ran the quick swing pass to Leonard Fournette. And then after picking up the first down, it was the very next snap, obviously, that went 39 yards to Scotty Miller. And then after the game, there was Matt LaFleur afterwards saying, quote, yeah, it was man coverage. Definitely not the right call for this situation, but it was that aggressiveness of Bruce Arians and the chunk play El Grande in that moment that might have been the key play of the game. Clearly. And and this is where Bruce looks at it. Like that was that's one where you're trying to stay ahead of the next uh, coach. And in that situation, the Buccaneers had so little time left that the only thing that made sense to run enough to get a field goal was to run a short pass on the sideline. Cause they were out of timeouts and that's what the Packers played for that. They were going to try and run this and gain a few more yards to get the first down and try a long field goal. And the Bucs said, well, you know, if that's how you're going to play it, fine. Then we're going to go for it all. And if this pass is incomplete, Oh, well, we won't get any points here, but we're going to go for it. And they, they outsmarted what the Packers did for sure. And uh, and still, with even with all that, the Packers were in a position to, to come back. And again, uh, just so many things have to go. I, even that game itself, Paul, harkened back to me of the NFC Championship where the Cardinals did everything right in the first half against the Eagles and still fell behind in the second half before having to come in. I, I kind of felt like there was a little deja vu, uh, obviously not with the Cardinals being involved, but you know, there was a, it looked like the Buccaneers had broken the Packers spirit with that play right before the half. And yet the Packers had every opportunity to take a lead at some point. 
Well, and then as I was referencing earlier, uh, incorrectly, you know, you, you get the Green Bay decision, obviously, at the end of the game, just more than two minutes to play, and that's fourth and goal to Tampa eight. And they decide to go for the field goal instead of your MVP quarterback uh, taking a shot on, on fourth down with the number one red zone offense during the regular season in Green Bay. And that reminded me, Darren, of the first half of Super Bowl 43 and the Cardinals' conservative game plan. Yeah. A year or two later, Todd Haley came out and said, yeah, if I had one regret, it was not opening it up earlier. It was not unleashing Kurt Warner earlier in Super Bowl 43. Well, I know that when I did my big oral history of Fitz's fantastic playoff uh, uh, stretch there, uh, which is still up on azcardinals.com if you want to read it, but I know one of the things Haley told me at the time was the conservativeness wasn't so much that they didn't think that opening up Kurt Warner could do some things, but Haley and Wisenhunt were scared to death that that really, really good Steelers pass rush would basically obliterate Kurt Warner. They did not have the pass blockers to hold up the whole game, and they were afraid it was only going to take one hit against an older Kurt Warner, and if you had to go to Matt Liner, you were probably done. So that's kind of, I think, was the thought process. I get that. It's funny, going back, though, when you talk about that Packers decision, one, I still don't have any idea why Aaron Rodgers didn't run on third down. It looked like he was going to get in the end zone. And even if he doesn't get in the end zone, he's at least within one or two yards of the end zone, which would have made a fourth down attempt a lot. You would add a lot more options, but are we even talking about them not going forward on fourth down and kicking the field goal? If they don't flag King for the penalty, because they would have gotten the ball back and they would have had an okay amount of time, 90 seconds with, with Aaron Rodgers. I, I don't know. I, I, I get both things. Um, I, I personally would have gone for it. I just, I didn't like any of the plays that developed on the first three for the Packers. And I thought that put them in a rough spot for fourth down. And that's a valid point about the PI call. There, there's no doubt about it. What if that wasn't indeed thrown and they had let that go most of the game until the very end. So there was yeah. some serious blowback on that. No doubt about it. But if you're going to go, for the two-point conversion earlier in the fourth quarter and be that aggressive at that moment when you didn't need to go for that two-point conversion. Agreed. Then, then why not go for it on the fourth and, and goal at the Tampa eight? And, um, you know, and as for the third down where he didn't run it, that always looks so tantalizing. I agree in the replay, but there was a DB who was basically at the hash on the yeah. goal line. And you know how quickly those guys can come off a block and close that gap. Yeah. So I'm sure, you know, he was trying to assess himself. What's interesting as well is, is you look at um, the run game or lack thereof of the two teams in the Super Bowl, right? And we had talked about this a little bit earlier, and, and it refers to me to Super Bowl 43. Now, what most people don't remember, and you do a good job of reminding everybody, is I guess what, Edger and James was a force. Unlike yeah. the regular season 2008, he, he was effective. The Cardinals did have a balanced offense in the postseason, and they had a run game. But you look at Kansas City, and you look at Tampa, and the lack of a run game, and their ability to get into the big game now, and it does make you wonder, to Kyle's stinking point, he's not here, he's even here when he's not here, about how, <laughs> how it is a passing league. Yeah. You know, uh, you can't help but wonder – 
if the Cardinals view that as, as somewhat uh, of a takeaway right now. Well, and even the Bills don't exactly have this great running game either. And that was their first loss since the Hale Murray. Um, the Packers had a little bit better of a run game, but at the same time, they also had an MVP quarterback who did some amazing things to a all pro wide receiver. I'm, you know, I've been on the, this, this board with, um, Kyle the whole time. And I, I totally see it that way. Do you need to be able to run the ball? Sometimes you absolutely do. Was it important in 2008 that Edron James was a little bit more effective, uh, running the ball? It absolutely is. But what happened in the Super Bowl? Edron James got shut down. They weren't aggressive enough as you were just talking about. And what the Cardinals came alive when they started throwing the ball all over the park. And I just feel like just with everything going on, um, you know, notwithstanding some of the penalties that weren't called in the Packers Bucks game, but um, it's, it still behooves you to throw the ball. You get just bigger chunks of yards. It's just, everything says throw the ball. And I get it. You know, it's not the same game. We know where it's evolving, where it has evolved at the same time, Sean McDermott on Tuesday and his sort of season assessment press conference said, and I quote, I can start off by saying we've got to be able to run the football better, end quote, Sean McDermott about the Bills offense. Because keep in mind, Josh Allen was their leading rusher in three yeah. playoff games. He had 145 yards rushing to lead the Bills in rushing. It can't be that stark. It, it can't be that lopsided. And if you have Aaron Rodgers and he's 37 and he's seen it all and he can dissect it all instantly by looking at a defense, sure, go with the passing game. If you have Patrick Mahomes and he's elite, Tom Brady, I get it. But even if you have a Pro Bowl quarterback like the Cardinals, you can't tell me the Cardinals weren't a much better offense when they had the threat of the run game and wait for it, the threat of play action yeah. to set up the passing game. So now, especially with Sean Kugler being officially named the run game coordinator, what do you think? Where do you think the Cardinals offense trends? as we go into next season, how similar or dissimilar will it look based on what we've seen in Cliff Kingsbury's first two years? Well, there, there's a couple of points I want to make here, Paul. First of all, I would like to channel uh, my inner Kyle uh, and make the point that multiple uh, analytical studies have shown that play action works, whether your running game is working or not. Play action works just on its own. So you don't necessarily have to have a great running game to have play action work. So I'm agreeing with you. You need to have play action. You don't necessarily have to have a really good running game to scare defenses with it because it's a natural instinct. I believe I, I again, those are the numbers. So I always found that kind of interesting when it comes to Sean Coogler and, and what it means. I mean, let's face it, Paul, you and I both know this. I mean, Cliff Kingsbury spent the last two years uh, here and there. Every time the run game comes up, he's talking about how Sean Coogler is the one kind of figuring that out and designing that. So this feels a lot more like just a title change than anything that actually has changed internally. It feels like, okay, we're going to reward this guy with a title of something he might've been doing already. At least that's the vibe we've gotten from Cliff Kingsbury. So um, I, I do think it, it gives you a little bit more oomph in, in terms of uh, having sway at, at what you might be able to do offensively. But I, I think it also will be interesting to see how they build this personnel-wise. We know Chase Edmonds is going to be here, but we don't know what the rest of that running back room might look like. I mean, are you going to get a bigger back, maybe a little bit of uh, thunder and lightning 
uh, that, you know, was once upon a time the big thing in the, in the league, just so that you have a little bit bigger of a back somewhere, uh, hopefully a younger, bigger back. But um, I, I think that's going to be a fascinating way to see how that turns out, because I, I think there's a lot of things you have to address with this offense. And I will have to see how much it is impacted by a title change at this point. Yeah, and I agree with that. There's the run game and then there's the style of the run game. How much impact will Sean Kugler have on the ladder? I'm going to now uh, channel my inner Ron Wolfley and make the sound effect. There's the run game, right? And with the fist into your hand straight ahead. Yeah. Or there's the lateral run game where, you know, the stretch, the zone stretch or what have you, and you're looking for a lane and maybe at some point you might go north. Or there's just, we're going to come off the ball, we're going to maul you, and we're going to take three yards. And by the time we hit the fourth quarter, guess what? It'll have taken its toll, and we're going to have our way and try and set the tone throughout the entirety of the game. So I wonder if Sean Kugler with the title has more say in the style of run game the Cardinals employ. Because you're right, and that makes sense. Okay, play action, whether you have the league's leading rusher or the dead last rusher, you got to respect the run if you're those linebackers, for example, on play action. At the same time, if you're going empty, guess what? That makes it real easy to decipher, and there's zero threat. So will there be changes in personnel groups and play design to always present the threat or possibility of the run? That's to me, that, that, that's what I wonder if that's where the Cardinals offense might evolve, perhaps. I, I, I would love to see that. I would love to see some more play action boots for Kyler Murray and, and the kind of some of the stuff we've seen from the 49ers and Rams. I would love to see that. Whether we do, I don't know. How much of, is it going to be able to change now that we basically uh, know that there's not going to be an off season again, and they're not going to be able to rep this until training camp again? You know, it's just like, oh goodness gracious, are you going to? How much are you going to be able to change? How much are you going to be comfortable changing, knowing you really can't do that much? Um, I, I don't know how that's going to go, um, but ultimately. The, the you're right the threat has to be there there's again when you talk about some of the analytical twitter it's it's also the the choices that are being made you know how much everybody gets frustrated if you try a pass on first down and it's incomplete i understand that but the numbers say if you just run it on first down every time you're you're being an idiot um because that's just not how you win in this league and so when we talk about the run game it, it's got to be a little bit more i mean if you're playing and again, the Chiefs are the Chiefs. They're the best team in the league right now. So I'm, I'm stretching this out a little bit. But if you're playing the Chiefs, uh, you're not going to be able to, or, or a high-powered team, you're, 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 not, you're just not going to be able to establish the run and run a guy up in the middle for a quarter and a half to try and wear them down by the fourth quarter. Because by the time you get to the fourth quarter, you're going to be down by two touchdowns because they're going to be throwing it over you and scoring, and you're going to be trying to play the field position game, and that's just not where this league is right now. Uh, so you talk about the virtual offseason. You just referenced it. Um, that's the expectation right now, isn't it? That yeah. it's I mean, going to be very akin to 2020, at least at this point. Yeah, that's what uh, the Players Association has told the players at this point is to expect uh, essentially virtual meetings all offseason, and you're going to have – right now you're going to have to train on your own. Um, and there's going to be a lot of the rules in place at these facilities that were in place in the off season. And, you know, would I be completely shocked if we go into training camp with all 
or many of the same protocols and rules for COVID that we did all this season, it will not shock me. Now, things can change. Uh, and obviously, with the new administration in the White House, perhaps the, uh, the vaccine gets distributed quicker than people are, are seeing right now. And, and maybe we are in a better place. But there is a crap ton of people in this world that need the, the vaccine. And, you know, thinking that it can all get distributed by August is probably not realistic. And if that's the case, this league is going to be super careful again. Speaking of not being realistic in the offseason, that's my segue into the NFC West. Let's look at the quarterback situation right now. We already touched on the Rams. My understanding is that Jared Goff's $134 million extension, $110 million guaranteed, doesn't even kick in until this year. So speaking of being realistic, uh, you know, Sean McVay and Les Snead can make whatever comments they want about whether Jared Goff is going to be the quarterback of the future. He is, quote, right now, quote, at the moment. Each one has made various comments about that. But, Darren, realistically, in terms of being feasible, there's no way the Rams are going to be able to to do anything beyond Jared Goff, especially in an environment where the salary cap is going to be reduced significantly. No. And what's super scary about this, if you're the Rams, is what exactly do you do with a – for instance, John Wofford, who apparently Sean McVay likes and looked pretty decent. Now, I know he played because Jared Goff got hurt, but do you do you kill that off altogether? Or did you see enough where you're thinking, I might want to watch them a little bit? Because I don't know what would be worse, Paul. What would be worse? Is it taking a bath on uh, getting rid of a quarterback who you have so much invested in, which I don't think is going to happen, but for argument's sake, getting rid of him or having another guy in the roster who half the team or more is looking at going, I think he's better than the guy who's starting and getting paid a crap ton of money. And we could be winning more games or doing more consistently if he was on the field. I mean, wouldn't that fester a little bit too? I mean, it's, it's not a good situation. And it's funny with all this talk of all these quarterbacks and possibly moving and the contracts they have is we're talking about doing it in an off season where there's very few potential moving spots because teams aren't going to have any cap space. I mean, I looked at the cap numbers the other day and it was, you know, they're a third of the, of the league is underwater in terms of their cap uh, going into the off season. And that's not even with, you know, 51 players on the roster for the top 51 cap. I mean, they got to make cuts without having anywhere close to 90 players. So I, I don't know how they're going to do it. Unless Les Snead has made a call to the Lions, unless the L.A. Rams have called the Lions and there might be a couple of big names and big contracts just straight up traded for each other with the Lions saying they're going to part ways. It's mutual with Matthew Stafford. Unless somehow they strike a deal in that regard. That's about the only way I can see the Rams really changing the franchise quarterback. Yeah, I mean, like when you take that example, for instance, if you're if you're the if you're the Lions, what's the upside of taking Jared Goff? You inherit actually a bigger contract than what Matthew Stafford has. And you can make an easy argument that Matthew Stafford is a better quarterback. So what, what's the, there is no upside there. It, it reminds me on a much greater scale of where the Cardinals were last year with David Johnson. And they just lucked into the best trade ever in Cardinals history 
to be able to do what they did with the David Johnson deal. But I, I look at the stuff, I mean, even Deshaun Watson, I mean, what do you, if you're the Texans and you want to move him, um, you know, in terms of absorbing dead space or all that stuff, I mean, these are all things you've got to somehow juggle. When you looked at the, did you look at the Niners? You mentioned you look at a lot of the teams and their cap space and. Yeah, um, I did. Right. Because the, the word on Jer- Jimmy Garoppolo is that they can get out from under that contract with less than a $4 million cap hit. But what does the rest of their, their cap look like? Uh, do they have the ability to add if they just their, flat their release? Cap, their cap with Jimmy Garoppolo right now is they have about $9 million in cap space, which obviously isn't enough for some giant contract. Um, but you know, if you get rid of Jimmy Garoppolo, if you if you say we're moving on and you say, OK, instead of taking a, uh, a uh, 27, almost 27 million dollar cap hit this season, you're you're only dealing with a four million dollar cap hit. Obviously, that adds a significant amount of cap space. So could they do that? Yes. Although you're in a position where you would have to get rid of Jimmy Garoppolo before the trade is official. And I don't know when Jimmy Garoppolo's contract officially kicks in. Like, is it got it? Do they have to make a move by, you know, the third day of the year or whatever it is. The other problem the 49ers have is there's way there's other teams that could use Deshaun Watson or Matthew Stafford that quite frankly, look like they could offer a, a better package in a trade than the 49ers can. So I don't know. I, I don't know if they're going to be the first, team people look at that doesn't mean they wouldn't offer the best package or whatever happens but I don't see them getting Deshaun Watson over another team maybe Matthew Stafford but I I'm not 100% sure Matthew Stafford at this point is that much better than Jimmy Garoppolo what about Matt Ryan Matt Ryan former Kyle Shanahan guy in Atlanta obviously sort of be a bridge quarterback at this point Matt Ryan going to the Niners I mean, I've heard that before, but again, I guess it would depend on, you know, where the Falcons are in terms of what they want to do next year, who they're going to draft, uh, if they're in a position to get a quarterback. I'm not even sure off the top of my head where the Falcons are drafting, but are they going to be in a position to get one of the top quarterbacks? I mean, as we know, Paul, if you're not getting the first or even second guy, then you're you're starting to walk out on a plank of, okay, is this guy going to... Pan. I mean, they're all, are, is this guy going to pan out? But I mean, look at the Dolphins. The Dolphins just got Tua, and now everybody's thinking, well, if you deal two first-round picks and two in a Houston, you could get Deshaun Watson, which if I'm the Dolphins, I do in a heartbeat. But what happened to Tua being the franchise, you know? You just don't know. Well, Deshaun Watson's going to the Jets, obviously, anyway, so you can dismiss <laughs> that. That's, uh, you know, according to the New York Post. Uh, let me throw this out. What about the guy who said right after the NFC championship game? And I quote, a lot of guys, futures are uncertain, myself included. What about Aaron Rodgers going back home to the NorCal and his beloved 49ers? Can we now rule that out after a hot 48 hours when Aaron Rodgers went on the Pat McAfee show and said, quote, I don't think there's any reason I won't be back. Meaning cooler had seemingly have prevailed in Green Bay, where my favorite quote was the CEO, Mark Murphy, on local Green Bay radio, who said Tuesday morning, quote, we're not idiots. Aaron Rodgers will be back. He's our leader. End quote. I mean, CEO. I didn't see his postgame press conference, Aaron Rodgers, and I just was kind of on Twitter. 
And I saw a national writer make some kind of comment about maybe he could end up in the 49ers where he should have gone in 2007 in the draft. And I'm like, what, what, what did, what just happened here? What we're talking about Aaron Rodgers leaving the Packers. He, he, he was, he's MVP. They just lost a close NFC championship game and everything was relatively good. And well, Darren, you got to go with Jordan Love, who wasn't even second string. He was actually third string on the Packers depth chart. So that would make all the sense in the world. Yeah. Just pull the ripcord on Aaron Rodgers and go with the rookie who's never taken a regular right. season snap and is completely unproven. I know that there are people out there who would love some NFL offseason drama like you have in the NBA. You'd love for these players to kind of push their way out and do these things. I don't think it works quite like that in the NFL. And um, there's a lot fewer games and a lot more paychecks for every game you miss. And I just, with the guys we're talking about, whether it's Aaron Rodgers or Deshaun Watson, I don't see them the kind of guys that are just going to be like, well, I'm just going to sit out a season then. I don't know if that's the most intelligent thing in the world. Um, and I just don't, I just don't see it happening. And I'm not letting, I mean, the whole, if you were to pick one thing, Paul, of what teams are trying to do in this league, it's trying to find that guy. Yeah. If you're the Texans, the one thing you're trying to get over anything else, even over a good head coach, is a franchise quarterback who's proven it, who's like 25 years old. How do you how do you part with that guy? I don't get it. The for the top five highest graded quarterbacks, according to Pro Football Focus, played in the NFC and AFC championship games. The one outsider, Deshaun Watson. So leave it to the Texans to have to part ways with that guy. You're right. That, that's the only thing they have left in Houston for the Texans uh, at, at this point. Just to follow up, Paul, and I want to give props to Ohms for looking it up for us. The Falcons are picking four. So they should be in a position to get a quarterback, um, depending on what kind of wheeling and dealing goes on up there at the top. Um, but, you know, you never know. Four might not be it. There's there's some years where the first four picks are quarterbacks, depending on who's there and, uh, you know, and, and how it all goes. We know Trevor Lawrence is going to go first to the Jaguars. Do you like Justin Fields? Do you like, uh, is it Zach Wilson from BYU? Zach Wilson, BYU. You know, right now the Jets with a second pick, um, you know, are they keeping Darnold? Do they go in a different direction? Do the Jets get Watson? And then that Texans are picking second. And do they take Darnold back to be their quarterback or they draft the guy? I mean, there's just so many moving pieces. It's so hard to know. I mean, if you would have asked us at this point last year, if the Cardinals were going to spend a first round pick on a wide receiver, I would have been like, there's a very good chance of that. Then they traded for DeAndre Hopkins. And yeah, that totally went out the door. Yeah, yeah that's true. The, the only quarterback headline and it, that also involves Houston that was a bigger eye-opener was former Cardinals quarterback Josh McCown getting a head coaching interview with the Texans. Was that a rumor or was that reality? No, the Texans actually have been updating all their interviews and he got one. And I love Josh. We've talked about this a few times. People that have listened to me or watched, read my stuff over the years, everybody knows how much I love Josh McCown. He shouldn't be a head coach right now. And besides that, it's I agree that it's not a great look for a league that is struggling with its minority hiring when it comes to head coaches and knowing a guy like, for instance, Eric Bieniemy is out there and might not even get a head coaching job again this time, even with eight openings. Now, 
I don't think Josh McCown is a realistic guy in Houston. And from all the reports I've seen, it seems to be trending towards a minority hire there. Um, so we'll see where that goes. Um, so obviously it wouldn't be Josh, but you know, again, I think Josh McCown will make a great coach in this league someday, but not right now. I mean, they fired Bill O'Brien midseason, and they're the last team standing needing a head coach right now, the Houston Texans. Something is broken in their process. It would seem. It, it yeah. would appear. And, and, and the process has also alienated their franchise quarterback. So it could have been a bigger disaster, their continued search for a head coach, the, uh, the Houston Texans. By the way, I was remiss in not mentioning, speaking of coaching changes, Cardinals made it official – Tell us about the change with the receivers coach. Oh, uh, they hired uh, Sean Jefferson. It was out there for a while. They, they moved on from David Rye. Uh, and then they hired Sean Jefferson, who the last couple of years has been the wide receivers coach and the assistant head coach in New York with the Jets. And obviously the Jets didn't have a lot of success, but um, they did when they're healthy, had a decent receiving core. Um, and this is a guy who's been in the league for coaching for 13 years now, something like that, 12 or 13 years. And he played for nine. He's well-regarded around the league. Um, he's done a fairly good job. And we know Paul, and we've talked about this, I think every podcast since the end of the season. Um, and we've talked about Rye moving on. They want more out of their receivers. And I think, you know, this is a guy they're hoping can work a little magic with Andy Isabella and Keyshawn Johnson and, and maybe even a little bit with Christian Kirk. And, uh, and we'll see what happens if they bring in a guy, uh, especially if it's a younger player. Um, but he's, uh, he'll, be, he'll be good, I, I think. I mean, I like David Rye. Unfortunately, you're going to go by what the results were. And DeAndre Hopkins was DeAndre Hopkins. Larry Fitzgerald was Larry Fitzgerald. But they didn't get enough out of the rest of the receivers. And that's, that was a problem. And, and I can understand why they did what they did. And, and so we'll see where this goes. And then the other promotion also was uh, Cam Turner going to quarterbacks coach, uh, which is great for Cam. He's the guy everybody sees in the green hat on the sideline so that Kyler can pick him up quicker to see the this, this signals and stuff. But, um, you know, Cam is a guy who's worked very closely with Kyler and with Cliff. And I, I think this was an inevitable uh, promotion. I'd love to know the hours Cam Turner put in this year. There were times <laughs> where I was doing morning radio on the road and I'd get up and I'd be in that room uh, and he would already be at four or five in the morning. He'd be in there crunching film and working analytics or whatever he was doing on that laptop and the video player uh, and the hours that some of those guys put in just utterly astounding. So now what about the other, do you see the Cardinals filling in passing game coordinator? Do you think there is another addition to the offensive coaching staff? And then subsequently, are there any changes to the defensive side of the ball that you're staying tuned for? Um, you know what? I, I, I think I think that's a, a, a good question. Um, I don't know. I don't know if there, I know a lot of fans are asking, OK, are they going to get an offensive coordinator? They're not going to get an offensive coordinator, per se. Um, I think Kugler being promoted to run game coordinator and you already have a head coach who's very much into the passing game. I think that's probably where you're going to end up. Um, I know that technically Tom Clements was called passing game coordinator, but I think in a lot of ways, Cliff was doing that anyways. I don't know if they're going to add another body. Obviously they have some room, 
to, to put somebody else on staff, but they have a couple of young coaches. They already um, have a couple of guys in the quarterback room. Maybe they readjust some stuff. It's just, unfortunately, Paul, it's so hard to know. I mean, Cliff after the season was very vague on what they might do with coaches. And I don't know when the next time we might get a chance to ask him. Um, But as of right now, those are the only coaching changes I'm anticipating. That doesn't mean they won't happen, but uh, you're getting to that point in the off season where if something was going to happen, you would have thought it would have happened by now. Well, and, and you don't know what coaching moves sometimes are necessitated. There are reports that David Rye is going to be the offensive coordinator at Vanderbilt. So yeah. you have no idea. I will come full circle, though, on Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. And we can't, we can't hit the exit button here, Darren, without talking about speaking of assistant coaches and former Cardinals assistants and now coordinators for Bruce Arians, whether it's Todd Bowles, Byron Leftwich. Harold Goodwin, assistant head coach, run game coordinator. You know Keith Armstrong, who who is a longtime um, guy for BA, former Temple player, just like Todd Bowles. But interviewed interviewed for the Cardinals head coaching job in 2018. Keith Armstrong did. I did not know that. So yes. there you go. I mean, there's just a lot. I mean, there's so many, even going down to the position coaches. There's so many, but to yeah. see the coordinators, and obviously the immense respect we both have for a Todd Bowles. We have intimate knowledge with what he did back in the day under BA. I just, you know, I'm, I'm probably in the realm of fans that would rather not see Tom Brady win another Super Bowl. I'm a little Tom Brady'd out, but that's really, ultimately I can't, I, I, you know, and again, this is where the, the personal part of the game gets involved. I mean, I got along great with Bruce Arians. I love Todd Bowles. I got along great with Harold Goodwin. I love Byron Leftwich, Larry Foote, uh, Jason Light. Um, I mean, these are all guys that I got to know pretty well when they were with the Cardinals. Uh, you know, I, I actually uh, DM'd with Jason Light after the game the other day just to say congratulations. And I just wanted to let him know that, you know, some of us are still rooting for him out here. And it, it's just, it's really cool to see. And I understand that there are fans a little bit frustrated there's there's kind of a give and a take and there are some fans that are frustrated to see BA and even those coaches in Tampa doing this it goes back to what we were saying before um as much as I love all those coaches do I think they're there with Jameis Winston if they don't instead of Tom Brady absolutely I do not so getting Tom Brady was a big deal but um it it is great to, to see them have that success I mean everybody's trying to get there and uh if the Cardinals can't be there, uh, it's a group that I wouldn't mind seeing win it. Well, and once upon a time, the Cardinals had a bunch of transplants from the Steelers coaching yep. staff when Ken Wisena came over. And so, uh, you know, it's sort of turnabout at this, at this point and, and so forth. So what's before, interesting. Before we go any further, Paul, I just need to, I did look it up. Okay. That's what I love about these high school girls, man. I get older. They stay the same age. That's Matthew McConaughey and, dazed and confused <laughs> All right. he's the, I'm, glad, he's the, I'm glad that was a movie line yes that's a movie line. not a quote from Matthew McConaughey himself put it no, that no, way no 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 that's a, that's a that's his character who uh yeah. is like out of high school and he's still going to high school parties uh, and that's what you made me think of when you were talking about going in the locker room and the the, the ages right. all stay the same while we get older yeah it's uh Look, I'm not trying to make you uncomfortable. Are you blushing yeah. now, Paul? I don't want you to be no, blushing here. No, no. There, there are two things that are reality check about going in into an NFL locker room. One, the age range never changes, uh, right. as we already cited. And then B, 
just the size of these guys. And this is what I share with all the uh, baseball and football dads who think their kids are going pro. And so <laughs> we have the benefit, Darren, of walking into a locker room every single day pre-pandemic. And you realize the freak factor that's yeah. going on, the size, the speed, the ability you know, of these guys who are the 0.01%. So as I tell all these, these dads, all these wannabes out on the playing fields, just enjoy it while you can, because nobody's going pro, capiche? I think that's a good message to put out there, Paul. We're gonna put out a PSA sooner rather than later. Right, that's right. So there you go. That's uh, this edition of uh, Cardinals Underground brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals.